Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you want to turn, we're going to be... We're going to go um, to Numbers, chapter 11, is where we're going to be today. And I'm titling the, this pass, this, this message, whatever... Man of meat and fire. <laughs> uh, and it's very obviously a very well-known passage, a very well-known chapter, but what I hope to kind of pull out of it is this connection between what goes on with the, the fire and the meat, uh, the, the, the manna and the quail, and then the, uh, and the fire that happens at the beginning, as well as the delegating with the... 70 elders there and how as we'll see God takes of the spirit uh, that's on Moses and puts it on these these elders there's also in this section oh I lost my spot uh, is it before that yeah but also I, I wanted to speak a little bit about in chapter 9 it talks about the Passover and so um I guess we'll start there. We'll go back. We'll go back to nine, and um, so it talks about in this in this chapter nine, verse one it says, "Yahweh spoken to Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Israel also keep the Passover in his appointed season, the fourteenth day of the month, even at even you shall keep it.' Blah 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 blah. So if you go down to um, Verse 6, there were certain men who were defiled by the body of a dead man and they couldn't keep the Passover. And so they go to God and they say, Moses, and then Moses goes to God and says, hey, you know, what are we supposed to do? We're defiled. You know, why should we be kept off from keeping the Passover? And I want you to keep in mind when you kind of think about all of this, all the correlations of, of Passover with the redemption and exodus from Egypt and then Yeshua's redemptive work, saving his people from the bondage of slavery to sin. And so they have, um, so they say, okay, well, fine, if you're, if you're defiled or if you're on a long journey in the second month, you can keep it because uh, it, it, this was a memorial to what God had done in their redeeming and saving them out of Egypt and our individual and corporate salvation of, of people uh, reconciled unto God so you don't die the death of the firstborn. It's what separates you out as God's people. And so that's a really, really important point. It is that redemptive act that separates you out as a child of God because it was Israel, my son, that left Egypt. So that's why it's really important when you get to verse 12, or 13, I should say, but the man that is clean and is not in a journey and forbeareth to keep the Passover, even the same soul shall be cut off from among his people, because he brought it brought not the offering of Yehovah in his appointed season. That man shall bear his sin. So it's really, really important. So it's not it's not limited to one occasion where they, you know, in the in the Exodus in in Egypt with Passover. If you didn't do it then, you know, the firstborn died uh, in your household and you more than likely did not leave Egypt because you did not believe. And same thing as we go and we look into the New Testament with those who did not trust and believe in Yeshua, 
and his death as the Passover lamb, they also, those who don't receive Yeshua, don't receive and keep him as the Passover, are cut off from the children of Israel. So there's this idea of the Passover and God sending his son and providing a way to get his people out of Egypt as making uh, a way for his people to be his people, to be saved, to be redeemed, and be made right with him. And if you reject that, just because you don't feel like it, whatever reason, then you are then you're exiled, you're cut off. And so, so those who don't accept Yeshua are cut off from among the children of Israel. And that's why it's so important this, when you keep all these things in mind as you read through the New Testament, why Yeshua was having, and, and all the apostles were having quarrels with the leadership of the day, the Jewish leadership, because they saw their inheritance and their identity in the kingdom as merited upon their uh, um, ancestral heritage. They figured they were born into it. But built into this, the Torah is this idea of, no, if you do not accept and keep the Passover every year, you are cut off. And so looking forward to what the Passover really is, is a picture of what Yeshua would eventually come and do for the collective redemption of his people. If you reject that, you're cut off. And you are no, and you are not part of Israel. It doesn't matter what you, blood you have going through you. And you can't do something to become part of the kingdom. It is accepting what God has done for you. So I just wanted to cover that real quick because um, I just thought that was beautiful. And so what what I wanted us to see is 13 where if, if someone who's in the community, i.e. born with, with Israelite blood, I don't care what tribe it is, coursing through your veins, you don't keep the Passover, you're cut off. Because you there's a problem in your heart. You are have not submitted yourself and trust in God and accepted what he's done for you. It's a good question. That's a topic for another time. Um, 14. So what's, what's also important is just as those who are in can get kicked out, and this is all... This is all related to like what Paul talks about with the branches who are cut off in the natural tree and can be grafted back in. That may answer your question to some degree. And the, and the uh, foreign branches from another tree, the wild olive branch, are grafted in. So, verse 14, if a stranger shall sojourn among you. In other words, he's a stranger, he's a foreigner. He's, he's with them in the midst of the camp, in the midst of the people, doing whatever, maybe set up a business, he just likes the land, whatever. Uh, but then he says, you know what, I want to be part of this people. You know, and so he comes near and he accepts the Passover, which they knew, and it tells us, again, it points to God saving and calling out his people from amongst the nations to give them a new heritage and a new culture and a way and to raise up a light for himself to the nations. And so this stranger, it's not just willy-nilly. This is a big deal. And so if a stranger shall sojourn among you, this is uh, chapter 9, verse 14, and we'll keep the Passover unto Yehovah, according to the ordinance of the Passover and according to the manner thereof, so shall he do. You shall have one ordinance both for the stranger and for him that was born in the land. And so... The stranger could also partake and be, could, could become part of the people of Israel. And just as the native-born could get cut off, so the foreigner 
could be grafted back, grafted in to the people of Israel and partake of all the blessings of that. And so is the picture with Yeshua and salvation today, whether you, doesn't matter where you come from, whether you're a uh, native born heritage that you may be able to, may not be able to trace, or you're, um, have no connection to Israel physically. It doesn't matter. It's what Yeshua has done. So that's all kind of fun extra stuff, but I wanted to cover that. So in, in chapter 11, um, I guess, I guess we'll, I guess we'll read it. Um, and then I have a note here from, uh, Raphael Sampson Hirsch, uh, which is just, it's a, I think you'll love it, Dad. It's awesome because uh, I'm gonna ruin it. It's good. It's good. All right. Anyway, well, let's so let's read chapter eleven, real quick. It won't take that long. And when the people complained, it displeased Yehovah, and Yehovah heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yehovah burned amongst them and consumed them that were in the outermost parts of the camp. It's all the kids in the back of the bus. <laughs> Troublemakers, just like the back of the class. And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto Yehovah, the fire was quenched. And he called the name of the place Tabera, because the fire of Yehovah burnt among them. And the mixed multitude was amongst them, uh, and the mixed multitude that was amongst them fell lusting. And the children of also also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remembered the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away, and there's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. And the manna was as coriander seed, and the color of there was the color of uh, bedellum. And the people went about, gathered it, ground it in mills, baked, uh, beat it in a mortar, baked it in pans, made cakes of it. The taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man at the door of his tent, and the anger of Yehovah was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. And Moses said unto Yehovah, Where hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them? That thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nursing father beareth the suckling child unto the land which thou swarest unto thy fathers. When should I have flesh to give all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I'm not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. And if I found favor in thy sight, let me not see my wretchedness. Yehovah said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, that thou know, uh, whom thou knowest, and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation, that they may stand there with thee. And I will come down and talk with thee, and there I will take of the spirit which is upon thee, and will put it on them, and they shall bear the burden of this people, that thou bear it not thyself alone. And say unto the people, Sanctify yourselves against the morrow, ye shall eat flesh. For you have wept in the ears of Yehovah, saying, Who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore Yehovah will give you flesh, and you shall eat. And you shall not eat it one day, nor two days, nor five, nor ten, nor twenty, but a whole month, until it come out at your nostrils, and it be loathsome unto you. Because that you have despised Yehovah which is among you, and have wept before him, wept before him, saying, Why came we forth out of Egypt? And Moses said, The people who, among whom I am are six hundred thousand footmen, and thou hast said, I will give them flesh, that they may eat a whole month. 
Shall the flocks and herds be slain for them to suffice them? Or shall the fish of the sea be gathered together for them to suffice them? And Yehovah said unto Moses, Is Yehovah's hand waxed short? Thou shalt see now whether thy word shall come to pass unto thee or not. And Moses went out and told the people the words of... Uh, where was that? And, uh, 24. And Moses went out and told the people the words of Yehovah and gathered the 70 men of the elders of the people and sent them round about the tabernacle. And Yehovah came down in a cloud and spoke unto them... Uh, sorry. Where am I? I lost my spot. Uh, came down in a cloud, spoke unto him, and took of the spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. But there remained two of them in the camp, and the name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them, and they were of them that were written, but went not out under the tabernacle, and they prophesied in the camp. And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of his young men, answered and said, My lord, Moses, forbid them. Moses said unto them, Enviest thou not for, the, for my sake? Would God that all Yehovah's people were prophets, and that Yehovah would put his spirit upon them? <laughs> Moses probably thinks it would be a heck of a lot easier for me if that were the case. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from Yehovah, and brought quails from the sea, and let them fall by the camp. As it were, a day's journey on the side as it were a day's journey on the other side, round about the camp, as it were, two cubits high upon the face of the earth. And the people stood up all that day, and all night, and all the next day, and they gathered the quails, and he, gathered, he that gathered uh, least gathered ten omers, and they spread them abroad for themselves round about the camp. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of Yehovah was kindled against the people, and Yehovah smote the people with a very great plague. And he caused the name of that place, uh, called the name of that place, Kirbath Hatava, because they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed from Kirbath Hatava unto Hezeroth and abode in Hezeroth. Interesting, they, they buried the people that lusted. So, obviously, everybody probably all ate from the manna, but um, it seems only they that lusted died from it. And they ate lusted. it. Lusted, meaning like they compl had complained against God that they didn't have any meat to eat and that life was was uh, better in Egypt, better in slavery and sin. Which kind of leads us back to my beginning point, which is we're going to go back to verse 1 in this fire that comes and burns up the outermost parts of the camp because they complain. And so oftentimes, and I know I feel this way oftentimes, as, as, you, as we walk in this messianic walk, Christian walk, whatever you want to call it, and you we get weary along the way, and it gets, you, you, it, because we're in the world, we see all the chaos, we see all the destruction, we see all the problems, we long for the Messiah to return and set up the kingdom and make things right, and so you get feeling very alone and feeling very disheartened, very discouraged, and wonder what the heck am I bothering all of it for? And there's, and 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 that's a normal emotional reaction, um, but it's something that can't weigh us down and get us wearied. We have to persevere and carry on and do what's right. And so we're gonna start in in chapter eleven, verse one. It says, "When the people complained, it displeased Yehovah, and Yehovah heard it." 
And his anger was kindled, and the fire of Yehovah burnt amongst them and consumed that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So, um, there's this note that uh, Raphael Samson Hirsch has. He was a, um, a Jewish rabbi in, I believe, Germany um, before World War One, like the eight, late 1800s. He died before the breakout of, of uh, I've talked about him before, before World War One happened, and what was happening at the time in Germany is there was this move, the reform movement actually started at that time because there was uh, social and political pressures starting to come to bear on Jewish people in the exile at that time because there was a lot of anti-Semitism was beginning to rise. And so there was this move within the reform movement that was eventually became the reform movement to... Um, not look so Jewish, not dress so Jewish, not behave so Jewish, not keep the festivals. And so, uh, Raphael Simpson Hirsch, who is not a believer in Yeshua, so don't, you know, keep that in mind. He's not a believer. He's not saved. But what he saw was this compromising of the people in the diaspora because of pressures around them. And they, in many ways, were like us, kind of growing weary along the way thinking, you know, it's all a mess and, you know, why am I even bothering type of thing, you know. So he, so he wrote this, um, this, uh, this note here, which we'll read. So, verse 1. Even when the dispensations of divine providence led, uh, led through wilderness and wasteland, Moses cheerfully accepted them. Then and for all time to come, with utterly selfless devotion, gladly merging his own will with that of God. By so doing, he demonstrated that God per, uh, he demonstrated that God pervaded attitude and philosophy of life, which should have been common to all the members of the nation. Right, this this idea of uh, selfless de- devotion to God. However, the nation was still far removed from such a state of spiritual and moral perfection. It's really important. It's really important because, especially for us here in the diaspora today. However, the, the nation was still far removed from the, such a state of spiritual and moral perfection. In contrast to Moses, the people were, quote, as if in mourning over themselves for the meaning of that Hebrew word see notes in Genesis 35 so the the people were as if in mourning over themselves right okay the people behaved as if they had gone into mourning over themselves the cloud of God above them and the ark of God covenant traveling before them only made them feel utterly cut off from the rest of the world its manifestations and conditions of life they did not consider themselves adequately compensated for this supposed isolation by the unique bond that tied them to God by the nearness of God by the presence of the sanctuary of God in their midst by their divine calling and by their divinely promised destiny toward which they were moving all these values were still worthless and meaningless in Israel's eyes. The people did not yet see them as symbols of a much loftier, happier mode of life. And so the people felt as if, as if they had been buried alive and they mourned over themselves. <laughs> I just love that. They mourned over themselves because they felt that they were 
buried alive. They were drawn out into this wilderness, isolated and separated from all the good things of the world. They had not yet seen, as Moses had, that they were called unto divine perfection and a mission for God. They mourned over the death of their old man and self that died in Egypt. And they they felt buried alive. And so they were stuck in this limbo of in-between, you know, wishing for what they had left, not yet committing themselves and giving themselves to what God had done in their lives to call them as their people in the wilderness, to serve Him and be a light. And that's exactly, I, for me anyway, what I feel like has, is happening, has happened to us, what happens to God's people as we, the warm fuzzies of, yay, the Torah, or yay, the Sabbath, or yay, I'm saved, wears off and the newness of God's word wears off and so the journey becomes long and we start to mourn over the death of our own man feeling buried alive. <laughs> ah, it's good. They did not consider themselves adequately compensated for this supposed isolation by the unique bond that tied them to God, by the nearness of God, by the presence of the sanctuary in their midst, by the divine calling, and by their divinely promised destiny toward which they were moving. They didn't feel like they were compensated adequately. (laughs) There, you know, what did Yeshua say? Foxes have holes, birds they have death. Son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Take up your cross and follow me. This isn't a friggin' party. But what they forgot, what they had, they had, they had, they had turned back from the plow. You know, they looked back on all the fleshly fulfillments and, and desires, and mourned over their own loss of their own life, forgetting the cloud and the tabernacle and the testimony and their new duty and their mission and the blessings that would come. You know, because of the trial of the wilderness, which we're all in now. We're in the, um, the wilderness of the peoples, as it says in Ezekiel. And, but it says, I will be a small set-apart place for you. But we have to journey through the wilderness. We have to accept the punishment of our sins. You know, there's the cost to things. And so what happened? Fire broke out in the camp and burned up those stragglers, those who weren't in the front of the class, those who weren't like Joshua, close to close to Moses. They didn't have the spirit of Moses in them. And so that's what's going to happen with these leaders. And so the leaders of God's people need a special spirit upon them. And so Moses just is burnt out at this point. And the people are, you know, there's a fire. And then they're complaining they don't have food. And they're mourning over the death of their own life. And Moses is saying, why am I flipping, wasting my time? If this is how it's going to be, just kill me now. And so God says, all right, you need support. You need help. But I think part of the reason that the people even were in this state is because the leaders that were supposed to be there, which I think, if I remember correctly, had already been set up by his father-in-law, weren't, I think, doing their job. And so because, just like the stragglers who got burnt up in the outermost points of the, parts of the camp, the back of the bus kids, the leaders 
weren't staying close to Moses. They weren't like Joshua, who, as the word tells us, had a different spirit in him, had a different motivation, wanted to be close to God, wanted to push forward in the, you know, divine building up of the people in their mission. And so they had to be gathered back in to have this spirit put upon them so that they could lead the people properly. Because the job of the people is to lead to teach the people, to discipline them, to build them up, and to discern matters. And when those leaders aren't doing what they're supposed to, if they're not staying close to God and they don't have that spirit on them, you know, there's problems in the camp. And um, so I think these elders were, were, were somewhat defunct. You know, why didn't they have this spirit on them? You know, why didn't they have a different motivation? Why did God have to give them an extra spirit? you know, of, of motivation so that they could be what they, they were supposed to. I think it was because they had issues. And, um, so then they, they, uh, they, so they get them the, 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 he, he gives them the man, the, the meat quail and gives them what they want. And, um, they don't eat it for just a few days or a week or a couple of days, but he eats it. They, it makes him eat them for a whole month until it's coming out their nose. <laughs> Force feeds them what they want. It's like, okay, you want that? Well, I'll give you exactly what you want. You know, until it's coming out your eyeballs. And then I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so then he strikes them dead. You know? So, you know, there's this idea of, of you know, God has called us out as this peculiar people, i.e., his own possession to train up, to teach his new his family, to give instructions, to give ways. Forget about your old family, where you came from. Stop mourning that old life. You know, we need to live this new life as unto God instead of what we feel like we're still missing out on in the world and feeling buried alive. And so I don't think like God's like, fine, you. You know, you're missing your own life. You think you're buried alive. I'll send you straight to hell and burns them right up. <laughs> I don't know. There's this kind of way about God where in, in such an, a, a stroke of irony almost, he really gives the people what they want. Eventually, if you yearn for it that badly. But he does still provide for his people he gives them these leaders he puts this spirit upon him he long he's long suffering he's patient and he uh, uh he, he gives them food and um and provides them even still in the wilderness all through the way and so so for us i think we have to be careful not to grow weary in this wilderness journey not to wonder how long is it going to take? We may die in the wilderness. Moses died in the wilderness. He did not make it to the promised land. You know, most of them didn't make it. You know, only a couple from that original generation, Joshua and Caleb, actually got to go in and see the land that were over 20 years old. Out of 600,000 footmen. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of people that died. And so, you know, we, we have to... We have to, you know, remember. We have to remember the unique bond that ties us to God, the nearness of God, 
the presence of the sanctuary in their midst, and our divine calling towards which we are moving. And we need to see them as symbols as a much loftier, happier mode of life. Instead of mourning over ourselves, you know. And, and like Moses, who cheerfully accepted them in his utterless selfish devotion. That's why I think God had to bring these leaders too closer to Moses. So he could put the same spirit that was on him. Because there was something different about Moses, which I think God had beaten out of him uh, through his already 40 years tending sheep on the backsides of mountains. And, uh, you know, he had lost all ambition. I think he was already dead to himself, you know. By the time God wanted to use him, he didn't want to go. He's like, I don't want to do this, are you kidding me? But he went anyway. And so, we need that same selfless determination as well. And, and, and it's a happier, loftier, loftier existence. So I just thought that note was amazing. I thought, you know, this uh, looking at this verse con- or this chapter from this perspective was really cool, and how hopefully as as people and as leaders we will um, we will look towards our what God has given us as as the true blessings of life, and and those leaders will step within the messianic movement within wherever. God's people are, will stay close to God, and that His, you know, the presence of His Spirit will be upon them, us, that we may, you know, lead forth happily, not mourning over what we feel like we've lost, you know, we have gained. So, let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I thank you for your word, I thank you for this day, I thank you for this passage, and um, just how it ministered to me. And uh, just help us to stay fervent and diligent in, your, in our obedience to you and our keeping our eyes on you, thanking you for your presence with us in the exile, your cloud, your testimony of the ark and the sanctuary and our, our, our uh, new mission in life and our newness of life that you've given us. And... Uh, so help us not to grow weary, help us not to lust after those things that we don't have, but to be thankful for what you do provide as you train us and mold us and shape us during this time of, of testing and, and character building and, and re-education and retraining as we have been pulled out of the exile and now made something new to be used of by you, God. So I just thank you for that and ask that we would all just... Um, have hearts and minds that would uh, seek to be conformed to the image of Yeshua. So I thank you for all these things, God. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.